With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavy metal. The way it was meant to be.
All right, welcome back to Heavy Metal Mayhem. Man, it's another blistering day here in New York City, topping out at 90 degrees. It's like hell, but it's perfect weather for heavy metal. And I want to thank everybody for hanging out and listening today. I know it's the summertime. A lot of people are out enjoying themselves. So if you can't be here for the live program, you know you can always catch the podcast anytime here on Block Talk Radio or any of the other places that play our show, like TalkShoe.com and iTunes and Podomatic and all the rest of them that are out there. We've got a great one for you tonight. Just gave you some warfare right there. We have an interview with Evo coming up in a little bit. I figured I'd get that on first. It was pre-recorded about a week ago. And I, I don't think Evo said interviews in a very long time, probably 20 years or, or better. I mean, uh, Warfare broke up in the early 90s, and since then, he's kind of been out of the business. He's done a few things here and there with uh, Algie Ward from Tank, uh, but not much. So it was great to talk to him. We'll get that on in a little bit. And that song comes off the new age of Total Warfare CD, which came out about a year or so ago. And it's a lot of old tunes by Warfare that have been remastered, and they sound great. I mean, Burn Down the King's Road, we just played. I mean, if you listen to the original records by Warfare, they have that real raw punk sound and that vibe to it. This album is a lot more polished off. They did a nice job remastering these tunes. Some of them almost feel like they're brand new after all these years. So we'll get that interview with Evil One. We're going to follow it up with Carmine Apathy from King Cobra, Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, and almost every other band. Carmine's been in the business a long time, and he's been on the show before. And he's always a fun guy to talk to. <laughs> I get a kick out of uh, having a conversation with Carmine. And we'll get that on the second half of the show for everybody. Until then, we'll keep the music going. Since we're over in the UK right now with Warfare, how about we stay there and give you some Tokyo Blade? Let's pay the man.
Alright, Samurai with Fires of Hell that came off the Sacred Blade record from back in 1984? Maybe 85, I'm not really sure. Good band, I figure since we have the new wave of British Heavy Metal guests coming on in a little bit, we'll keep that going. And you know, we have, you know, I can't believe we're halfway through July already, man. We have a lot of great bands still coming, besides Evo in a little bit, and Carmine Apostol later on in the show. Next week, we have Anthony Cross from uh, Seven Witches. Anthony played with... The, uh, Live Say, Attacker, uh, Officials Beast, and a lot of other bands, as well as Craig Goldie, guitar player for Ronnie James Dio's Dio and Dio Disciples now. And we're closing out the month with Mark Glabe and Lorraine Gill from Taste of Iron and John Dobbs from Paradox, the Paradox from up in Chicago. So really going old school this month, and already got a few bands booked for August, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But I believe Tommy is on the line, so let's get him connected and... We'll do our demolition segment right after that. T, what's going on, my friend? Hey, good evening, good afternoon. How you doing? What's happening there? <laughs> Not much, man. I fall, <laughs> I fall asleep in the air conditioner. <laughs> hey, it's it's hot today. It's it's, it's been hot, you know, for the last two weeks, and it's only get hotter this week. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, there's no spring. There's no fall. We go right from the. I have the the heat on Monday. I've got the air yeah. conditioner on Tuesday. It's just yeah. we go from hot to cold right. now. Not, so much not. for global warming. I'm moving to Florida anyway when I retire in a few years, so it's going to be hot year-round for me. So, yeah, so uh, the air conditioning will be on constantly. <laughs> that's right. It'll, it'll be 24-7 over there. I'm going to get a nice place down near the beach. I'm going to get a little boat so when you know the ice age comes, I can just sail down to Mexico and become a refugee over there like they do to us over here. <laughs> Very good. And live in the warm climate, so... That's what it is. But hey, listen, we got a great show tonight. I don't know if you heard, but we have Evo from Warfare coming up in a little bit. I did that interview right. last week. Right. And uh, Carmine Apathy from King Carl. But Carmine is always a character to talk to. And uh, he doesn't disappoint this time around either. So uh, we'll get that on, on the second half of the show. And uh, I, I spoke with Paul Shortino yesterday, who was a singer for King Cobra. Right. And we were talking about Carmine. He was like, yeah, I know. And when you hear today's interview, you'll know exactly what he's talking about also. So always good talking with Carmine. The man's been around a long time, man. A long time. Oh, you know, Vanilla Fudge. When you think about Vanilla Fudge, I mean, before I spoke with Carmine, I was going on YouTube uh, and I checked out a clip of Vanilla Fudge when they won the Ed Sullivan Show in, wow. in the in the, in the mid '60s, maybe '66, '67, uh, around that time. Right. And they they were doing the, uh, they were they, I forgot they they won there once or twice and um. I can't remember what, what, what song they did. It was a cover song that was by the Supremes. I don't know. Yeah, I forgot what song it was, but when it's, you know, because they played live on their songs back then. When when the song came on, oh yeah, after the keyboard intro and they started singing, and Carmen comes up with the drums. It was so friggin' heavy, and I'm thinking this is 1967 or whatever it was. Right. I'm like, I'm like this is, I'm like these guys really were like the one of the first. I mean, a lot of people give Dust credit. A blue chair for being like one of the first metal bands. Okay. I mean, when you hear that early Vanilla, especially live, their albums don't do any justice. Like the heaviness that you yeah. got when you saw them live. But oh my God, I went back and I, I just started going through like a lot of the catalog again after that. I was like, man, this is some really good shit, especially the live stuff. Yeah, I guess the recordings uh, subdued them a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, it's but like there were a lot of bands. And how many really bands have we seen live that are on record? You know, look at White Lion, a perfect example. White Lion, I always thought, were a great band live, especially in the 80s. They were so heavy. When yeah. the record came out, it was so polished, and, you know, it kind of lost that energy, you know? I hear you. And they were like that. Matter of fact, my daughter is in New Jersey right now seeing, uh, what's his name, Mike Tramp. He's got an acoustic set going. Uh, she went out there to go see him with uh, the band Cashmere. Remember from the 80s? It used to be around the New York scene? Yeah. 
Yeah, they're playing out there and a couple of other bands. I, I think a boyfriend's friends with one of the bands, so they went out there to go see them in uh in Montclair, New Jersey today. So I was like, all right, sounds pretty good. Hey, at least it's in the rock. It may not be the best rock, but it's, it's still rock. Yeah, definitely. Oh, Stride said the song is You Keep Me Hanging On. That was a Supreme song. Oh, I just couldn't think of the name. Hanging on. Okay, yeah. yeah, it was on the tip of my tongue. I just couldn't think of it. But all right, we'll talk then about that later on. But right now, let's do our demolition segment, get this interview with Evo going, and uh, we'll move on from there. Tonight in the demolition segment, it's Jack Hammer, a band out of New Jersey. We put up their first demo years ago. Uh, this is their second one called Chainsaw Love. And, you know, I love the first demo because that was the first tape I ever actually bought, the first demo I ever bought when it came out. I remember buying it from the band for $2 in the mail from Chris Ott, who was the singer on the first demo tape. By the second tape, he was gone and out of the band. And uh, he he bounced around the New York scene for a, a long time in a lot of bands, but he kind of went the hardcore route because that's what became popular. You know, in the mid-'80s, right? he was in Life's Blood and Ambush and Mental Abuse, uh, New York City's Breakdown. So uh, I got to try to find him to get him on the show. It would be great to talk to him because I love that demo tape. But then again, this is the second demo, Chainsaw Love. Head to the block spot right now. Download yourself a copy of it. Here's a song called The Aftermath.
Jack Hammer, the aftermath. Head over to the block spot and download yourself a copy of that demo tape. All right, next up, Evo from Warfare. Like I said, Evo hasn't done a lot of interviews in a long time because he's kind of out of the business these days, but he's doing what he can to help promote that new CD, The New Age of Total Warfare, which just came out about a year or so ago and trying to bring some notice to it in the band. And I got to speak to him the other day, and here's what he had to say. Okay. Evo, it's great to have you on here today. Being, I'm such a big Warfare fan. Going, I mean, I even go back to you before that when you recorded with, you know, all your other bands, Angelic Upstarts, and the, and all the other things before that. It's great yep. that this compilation is out now. Warfare is really not active anymore. You don't. Do you have any plans on on doing anything with Warfare in the future? No, 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 no. It was a thing that we did um, that I did in my youth. Um, absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, I think it's better just to let sleeping dogs lie. Um, but um, like I said, this this is all being remastered. This uh, brand new Campbell compilation. It's called the New Age of Total Warfare, and it's out now on South World Records, um, which features 16 tracks, which is all really over the top mayhem. So anyone interested in that particular genre will absolutely love it. I would have thought. Yeah, it has a great vibe to it. The new songs. I mean, they actually sound a little different. Some of them in the way they were remastered. It, you know, some of that raw edge is uh, gone. The, yeah, because obviously when you remaster, you, you do it in um, digital as opposed to analog, so um, you lose a little bit of the, uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, like, you know Warfare, Warfare comes from a, a time and an era when you know, the punk scene was really prevalent back in, in, in London in the, in the late 70s, and Warfare took that raw you know punk sound and that attitude of like, you know, we don't give a shit and we're going to be different than everybody else, and you kind of oh. combined it with what was coming up at the time, and you know, like, there was really no term for metal back then. It was just, you know, hard rock or heavy metal. Everybody tried to categorize it today with, like, thrash and speed. And, but you just took mm. that raw energy that was coming up in the metal scene with the punk, and you put it together, and you came out with a sound that really wasn't hurt really back then. Outside of Tank, who really were kind of, like, in the same mold, there was nothing else going well, on like that. Well, 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 no, I was, I, was, I was a big Tank fan in the early days, um, uh, a huge Tank fan, but I also liked the Ramones, um, and the biggest ticket in our area at the particular time, um, up in Newcastle, was a band called Major Accident, and I managed to get the audition for them, and I did a few um, recordings with them, and they were very, very fast, like the Ramones. Um, and I sort of touched on, I was getting little bits of um, ideas then, um, and then I was invited to play on False Gestures for a Devious Public by a rock band called The Blood. Yeah. And they were sort of touching, fantastic album. They were touching on something but they just couldn't they couldn't tweak it just how or whichever way if you know what I'm saying just to get it anyway anyway I used to um, I was in London by that time and I was um, OG was looking after me um, I lived around the corner from him and we were meeting all the right people and um, I used to go down to Butler's Wharf which was behind the old Tower Bridge and it was derelict then it was it was, yeah. it was horrible um, but the inspiration for it um, it, it was it oozed character, and I um, created warfare actually mentally down there. Um, and then um, the blood fell apart, as it were, on the release of the debut album, um, Egos, and all the rest of it. And then I got the gig with the Angelic Upstarts, and I toured with them extensively. And then it was still brewing inside of me this thing, and I thought I want something that's as loud and over the top as the Ramones Rainbow Show in 1977. I want to fuse it with a bit of motorhead, a yeah. bit of tank, 
but instead of just doing it like the blood tried to do it and even up to a point tank maybe did it by accident or tried to do it i wanted to put the fucking amps on number 15 and really <laughs> do it and um i knew exactly what i wanted to do lyrically wise i wanted to do the punk thing but i wanted to bring in the the influence of the Ramones, the Pink Fairies, um, Budgie, Rory Gallagher, that sort of British heavy metal, but mix that with the Upstarts, the Clash, the Pistols, and just make an absolute all-out racket. <laughs> that you did. I mean, it was a hodgepodge of everything at the time, and, and it worked. And But was it a hard sell? I mean, you know, back then, we all had that act like that. We don't give a shit. We're going to do what we want to do, but... Were you worried about like trying to fit into like a certain like group or because it was such a mix of music and people just didn't get along back then where you know the punks didn't want to be with the rockers and this group didn't want to be with that group was it a hard sell? It was a hard sell punder wise yes because that that was the thing you were either in a punk band or you were in a metal band and the long hairs other than Motorhead didn't play punk and the the short hairs didn't play metal. Um, but I always found that absolutely ridiculous because when you listen to bands like Anvil, yeah, you can say it's metal, but it's got punk overtones. Yeah. Tank were the same. Um, ironically, people say that I was influenced by Venom and I'd never heard Venom until we actually shared the same label together. Um, so Venom didn't come into the equation with me because I'd never actually listened to them. Um, but the punk and the metal thing, it's always been so close. It's only really the hair, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's martial amps. Um, I think the metal thing, metal bands do it a lot bigger. You know, you get a tour bus with a metal band and you get a, a massive backline and you get something to eat with a punk band, you get fuck all, basically. Yeah. You just get <laughs> you get two combos, a drum kit and loads of kids spitting at you and you do massive places and you just you just make it up as you go along, you know. So where, where I, think, I think the metal thing's a bit more rehearsed, isn't it? Without a doubt, and I agree with you on that. And like you said, I never really heard any Venom influence in any of your music, even though you, you, they did produce one of your records. I guess Kronos probably was uh, behind one of the records back in the day, but you guys were all on the on yeah. label back then. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, what happened was um, we did two albums. Um, we did uh, the first one, Pure Filth, All Ward from Tank produced that, and then yeah. uh, Lemmy, Lemmy produced our second one, Metal Anarchy. Then the bass player um, that I had at the time decided to leave, um, and this was sort of right in between the third album, and I didn't have a bass player, um, which was nothing new because I had several guest people playing on my records and several lineups around me. Um, it's just another part of the, the bloody hard work it is having your own band. But anyway, um, Kronos was uh, he was having a fag in the office downstairs, and we'd worked together because we'd done a, a double on them. Um, that, that piss take track, that rose petals fall from her face. And uh, me and Kronos were very good mates as well. We got on famously. And I just said to him, you know, you don't have to put your name to it if you don't know. But will you play the bass for us on the album? He said, yeah, yeah, just do it. And he played the bass, all the bass on, on Mayhem, F and Mayhem is, is Kronos. Um, and he produced it, me and him produced it together. Um, and that's just a wall of noise as well. Um, but, but with the punk lyrics as well, um, the street lyrics. Did you find it hard trying to keep a lineup together? Because you know, try to get a couple of people that kind of have the same vision as you, and that can play what you want. And and being the drummer in the band and the singer, I mean, you kind of had double duty going on. But trying to keep the consistency music-wise from the guitar end of it was it difficult over the years? It was very difficult because it was my concept, and I knew exactly the way I wanted to drive it. And um, 
you would you would get people who were part of part of the thing saying, well, no, I think that's too over the top. I think that's too noisy. I would say play it just as as a three chord. I was I was I was exploring avenues that no other. I wasn't I wasn't going to a formula. Yeah. I didn't I didn't want to go to a formula. I knew. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it to you. I just had something in my head. The creativity of of I just wanted it to be. I mean, a lot of people said we didn't give a shit, but I give a shit a lot about what the, what the kids are going to listen to, even though my attitude at the time was like, fuck you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yes, it was It, it was difficult, um, and it was difficult to, to keep changing as well. I didn't just want to be the first album for ten albums. A lot of bands, good luck to them, are happy with that. There's, there's several bands that I respect that just went on and on and on, and are still going on now doing the same thing. Well, I made it like that. <laughs> Well, I've I've never had a lot of time for him. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't. It's not my music at all. So, yeah. Um, but but yes, yeah. It's just the same old bollocks year in and year out. Tour album tour. It's no better than working in a factory, if you ask me. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you got you got to have a bit of variety and and artistic flair in in, in it. I'm not saying that Maiden don't have artistic flair, but uh, it just sounds like the same old bollocks to me over and over again. So, that's my opinion. It, it does. There's no doubt about that. And I think when you were saying, like, with the fuck you attitude, I think more of us had that just based on, like, you know, society in general and conformity and, you know, not not so much the music or the band or the fans. I know exactly what you're saying. You just had that attitude towards, you know, life in general, not, you know, the music you were putting out. Well, well, well not even that. The thing thing being, when you take take it back 25 years, when when we were growing up, we didn't have anything. There was, there was nothing. Um it's like I said to my daughter, how can you punish your daughter? What do you do, cut the plugs off in a bedroom? I mean, fuck me, she's got the Hilton Hotel upstairs. She doesn't give a fuck whether I send her to bed or not. <laughs> yeah. um, you know what I'm saying? All, all exactly. I had was, was, was a wardrobe with some Fiesta magazines in. You can only wank three times and you're done, you know? <laughs> um, so we had everything. That, that was where the punk thing came from. The kids, about where we had nothing. And... Um, I never wanted to go to work nine to five, never. Um, I still don't, and I refuse to. Um, but I'm not knocking people that do, but it's just not me, do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, the um, the kids had to do something. They had to get off their asses then. There was a, there was a I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it well. Well, nowadays, it's, it's just gone. It's fucking lame, isn't it? It really is lame. Yeah, it's you true. Um, mm. I mean, um you say about reforming. We, I've done a, I've done an EP, which is the first one I've done in um, twenty years, which is called Swine of Hades. With Algie. Um Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, the chap who's record label, as he said, would you like to reform a band? And I said, no, I wouldn't. But I said, me and my mate um, Algie from Tangle do a track for you, and we've um, obliterated tune to the music by status quo um, with Algie's horrendous bass sound. Um, and my um, vocals and drums, and uh, it's well worth a listen to if um, the punters want to listen to that. I have that. It's a great. It did a great tune of uh, the Sarah's Quo song. It came out phenomenal. And you know, you and Algie kind of, you know, you, like it says, you go back with Algie a, a long way. He was in mm. the band for a little while towards the end. You've played with him on and off throughout the years. I mean, is mm. there that kind of camaraderie or chemistry between the two of you that you just, you know, get along so well when you work together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it started off years ago when, when one of my early bands supported supported Tank and we'd become sort of half friendly and then more friendly and then when I moved to London um 
we share the same humour, we, uh, we share the same alcohol consumption. Um, <laughs> don't laugh, not that I can do that today, but I certainly could in them, in them days. Um, um, yeah, we just, we just shared everything. That they said the same, like the, from the seventies, uh, the, the black humour, everything. And, w- and when we do play together, it's just, it's just everybody says it's just you know it kicks ass so much. So um, two noise merchants on the same stage, I, I would have thought. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Oh man, mm. and, you, know, you, you, t- you go back to nineteen ninety. Now you know Hammer Horror was the last uh, studio record the band put mm. out. Did you just feel at that time that the band had run its course? Because the whole scene in general kind of changed in the 90s. And did you feel that was it for the band? You had enough for... What, what, what caused you like to end it at that point in time? It, what what happened was, um, if, if you listen to the War Films, we went from that actual wall of noise, three chord, hammer on, as it were. And I wanted to just keep taking it further. I wanted to explore different avenues. And the Hammer Horror record wasn't really accepted by our hardcore fans because it was a lot more musical. And after that, I did an album with Olgie and I did an album with Wurzel from Motorhead. We shared a, a, um, a joint venture, which was called Warhead. Yeah. But we'd hit 1991 at that time, and God, you know, Iron Maiden or Metallica couldn't sell records. And it just got to the point where I just thought, I've done this since I left school. I'm now 30 years old. I've done it successfully in in my particular genre. There's only so far you can get with the noisy sort of stuff, unless you break through and lose your integrity and go completely commercial, which is not what I wanted to do. Sure. And I just and I just thought there was other things in life I, I wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to have my own fairground, which I've got now. Um, I've got my own complete fairground business. I started off with one 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 roundabout, one carousel, and I've just gone on and gone on and gone on. And it's much like music. Um, I'm really enjoying doing what I'm doing. Um, and I've done a lot of promotion at the local um, city hall that we've got. I put Bruce Foxton on. I've had Wilco Johnson on. I've had the vibrators on. So I dabble still, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, I'm not opposed if anybody's out there. If anybody wants me to do a bit of guest drumming or vocals, um, I'm not opposed to doing that at all. Um, if it's a bit of fun and it's just a one-off occasionally, I'm quite happy with that. But like I say, run its course, warfare. Uh, I, I think we're a fantastic concept. Um, it, looking back, it's everything that I wanted to do. But there was a time, and I don't think there is a time anymore. Um, I'm not knocking bands for reforming, but I just think it's. I just think there was a time, and that sums it up really. It, it, you know, that's a hard thing because, like I said, a lot of bands have gotten back together over the last five or six years because there's been this resurgence and, you know, in the music mm. scene. And, you know, some of them mm. have the original lineups and they're just doing one-off shows and festivals. They're having a good time and they've still got their other thing going on. Some of them have gotten back together with one member and it wasn't even like a key member in the band. And some of them were members that weren't even in the original lineup. And it just mm. doesn't make sense sometimes. And it, you can see it's just a grab for, like, whatever a little bit of money or notoriety might be out there with and it's really not even money today because that doesn't even exist but it's harder I think to do what you're doing saying you know it's over with we left it behind you know we did what we did we're proud of it but we're not going to tamper with it anymore yeah I I just think I really do believe that that there was a time I mean for me to start I can still drum like a demon I'm not being big headed when I say it I don't take it the wrong way but um, it's just it's not something I wouldn't want to tour again I've done all that um, I've played the big venues with the upstarts. Um, I've seen the world. I don't really know 
why I would want to do it again, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I know. It, it, it's, I had, like I say, I, I had 14 good years professionally, um, and I did it when, when records could sell, uh, when we had vinyl. We had all the right things artistically. It was, it was a great time. I mean, even even looking back, London then was a fucking brilliant place to live. Um, you would bump into everybody, you know, Lemmy, the Stranglers, um, anybody who was anybody would be down the Semerits Club. Um, it was just fantastic. And now it's, it's it, it, this Simon Cowell's fucked everything up, hasn't he? You know what I mean? <laughs> Those shows have killed the music. <laughs> like the X well, yeah, well, me, 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 and, uh, me and Olgy did a track co- called Know Your Product, which is a Saints cover, but I changed the, the, the lyrics to um, um, We Need Anger, We Need Energy. And it sounds ridiculous when you listen to it, but I mean it. I actually mean what I'm... That, that was the first first vocal I put down in 19 years, but I actually... I'm screaming to the kids. There was a, there was an interesting thing um, just recently. Noddy Older was on television, and he said... The country or the world is screaming for another Slade. Yeah. And I thought the man, the man is bang on the money. Um, but the kids, the kids don't seem to get it, do they? They just want to listen to. I mean, I'm not not going to. They still want to listen to Warfare and Venom and Tank and all the other stuff. But uh, I just wish someone would come along and do it like we did it. You know what I mean? I think um, that's over and done with. Uh, it just seems there's too much conformity today and. You know, you told the line, and it's 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 just too commercially acceptable. Nobody's taking that chance on doing anything different or or new or raw. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, the, the kids now want to go to university. I mean, fuck me, how sad? Who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't even go to school. I just wanted to rebel. Um, you know, it was just anger, and it was just like. Argh. <laughs> That that always came out in the music. To me, warfare was you know part attitude, part music, and it combined to make the band. Yeah, because some of the times, some of the times, what you listen to on on that vinyl was one take, and you know the engineer would say, "Well, you could do that better." Yeah, I could do it better, but it wasn't coming from the heart. That was coming from the heart. That is street. That what what you're getting was street. It was the amps on fifteen. We blew so many marshals up. I mean, we had so many arguments with studios. We used to fucking wreck studios. Um, I used to put double bass drums completely out with my pedals. I used to hit them that hard. The monitors used to go up into the red, and it was <laughs> it was it was looking back, it was insane. The, the the noise we used to make was just. But that's what I wanted to create. I wanted um, something. When when I was with the Angelic Upstarts, um, well, when I was with one of my first bands, Hellfire, who supported Tank. I tried to get a deal with Roadrunner Records and he couldn't get through. No one would answer the phone. Um, you'd hang on there for fucking hours to try and speak to somebody. Um, when I was with the Upstarts in London, I got a reverse charge call to Need Records. And I said, look at Evo, I've got this concept. It's going to be called Warfare. It's going to be louder than you've ever heard anything before. It's going to be a three-piece. And he said, have you got a band? I said, no, but I'm, I, I can get a band. And um, he signed me on the phone. Wow. Because I because I was in the Angelic Upstarts, that was the reason. Um, because he thought, well, he's got a name now, um, and he went from there, you know. So, um, but Olgy actually played on the first single, and we didn't name him. Everybody th- thought it was Seven Gunner. It wasn't. It was Olgy. So, do you think um, if uh, if you were 19 years old today and you had this, you know, idea for warfare, 
Because you left the you left the music business, you know, before it really started to change, and it's a different business today than when you were in it earlier. You think warfare? Mm-hmm. If they started today, you guys are teenagers, you would be able to have you know made it in this kind of you know demographic or society or the way the business is today. Um, I don't, I don't think so. No, no, no. I, I don't really know because I don't think the. Um, no, just no. <laughs> Easy yeah. answer. No, 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 no. I, I don't think. Um, I don't know. I think. The, I think the world's ready for it. I think. I think we need. We need another warfare. But that's what I'm going to say. Obviously, that's what Noddy Older says. But um, I don't think anyone would sit up and listen because they just uh, been there, got the t-shirts. Uh, you, you've got to understand what we did was before thrash metal. Yeah. We were doing thrash metal when it wasn't pigeonholed thrash metal. We didn't even it, it, the term thrash or speed hadn't been invented. That's right. When pure filth, when pure filth was out on the streets, and some of the tracks on there is as fast as fuck, aren't they? Um, so really, we were touching on something we didn't even know. We didn't even know what we had. But um, yeah, it's a it's a, a strange strange phenomena. Um, it's a different world today, but you know what? I'm glad that at least, you know, the younger kids, they can go back to these albums and pick them up and hear what it was all about and experience the time. And now with the new age of Total Warfare out, people can hear them, you know, all remastered and, and redone up. And it's like a whole new experience for the old fans, getting to hear these songs, you know, in a new way. So, Eva, I appreciate mm. you talking to me today. I had a great time. And, I, you know, anything you do musically, I'll be there for you if you ever decide to do something in the future. And what we talked about earlier, I'm going to work on that after we're done and I'll hopefully get it out to you if mm-hmm. I can. That would be fantastic. And it's been lovely talking to you. It's been a pleasure. You too. The best of luck with everything. Take care. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks very much, Mike. Take care of yourself. You Bye-bye.
right, that was the Mad Axeman, and the Mad Axeman is coming home. And right before that was another new tune off the new CD by Warfare. The New Age of Total Warfare was a song, and it's also the name of the album. They really did a nice job remastering that. So if you haven't picked it up, go ahead. And Evo is a pretty cool guy to talk to. But right now, the mayor of Metalville, a man who works hard day in and day out to bring us all the happenings in the New York City area for the week, Mr. Ken Pierce of PiercingMetal.com. Kenny, how are you, my friend? Oh, big Mike, I am I am doing fine, man. Thanks thanks so much for such a wonderful ma- mayor of Metalville, and it's just in time for an election year, right? Is it, was was uh, that voting? a good intro or what? Come on. Yeah, that was a really good one. I like that. Maybe maybe I, we'll maybe we'll maybe we'll run for public media office. What do you think? Well, you know what it is? So, I, I have to woo you over because I know you've been dealing with the talking metal guys in the podcast. Oh I yeah, you know I'm happy. cheating on you. I'm cheating I on you. I'm happy over here. <laughs> well, if you read the subtext to the paraphrase section three of the uh, clause, uh, I'm allowed to do any of that kind of stuff. You hey, but sure can, are. I start off, can I start off with uh, two little bits of news that I think you'd find interesting? And uh, the first one's a bit sad. Um, rock and roll lost the great Pepe Marcello the other day of the yeah. Good Rats, and uh, this was this was the world's greatest un, unknown uh, lead singer for uh, rock and roll and a very very important band. To New York music, whether whether people realized it or not, and bands like Twisted Sister were influenced by the Good Rats and said, "We want to be this band." They used to fill up uh, Long Island clubs back in the day when Long Island was the only place to see uh, rock and roll shows and metal. You know, you couldn't go into the city because it was all discos. You know, so right. uh, so we 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 lost Pep at 68. He had a heart attack the other day, and uh, really sad to to see him go because uh, it was always a good show. And then. Um, uh, some other bad stuff happened the other night too. The um, the lead singer of Nazareth, uh, Dan McCafferty. Do I say that right, Dan McCafferty? Yeah, he um, he collapsed 30 seconds into the show, um, and they've they've canceled all remaining dates on the tour. Now uh, he was having breathing trouble, and um, so uh, he's let's let's hope he's doing well too. You know, so uh, that's definitely. Just, because all these guys are getting old. I hate to sound like that, you know, know. But, uh, but they all are getting old. So that's uh, that is what we we had. Uh, doing. And Mike, you know, before I get into quick announcements and stuff, you know, you know, I got a dose of the Holy Ghost last night with the Striper Show over at uh, at BB King's, and you know who he Whoa. had opening up? He had Mike Tramp from White Lion opening up. My daughter is on her way out the door right now to see Mike Tramp in New Jersey. Well, he was great. He was great. Yeah. I mean, he, he plays all acoustic stuff, but I tell you, man, I never realized how much I miss those White Lion tunes, man. I just it was just one of the bands of my youth, too, you know, metal youth, and I just really... Was it really an old White Lion set, or did he mix it up? Uh, you know, he uh, he um, he very smartly, since he was only playing for about 45 minutes, I guess, to an hour, he very smartly only opened up with one original tune from, uh, like, a new acoustic album he has. Yeah. And uh, then the rest of the set was all classic White Lion. So um, I guess the show that your daughter is going to is a headlining appearance, so he'll probably do more of his originals, but he, uh, he he does have a very strong White Lion set, and I think that is a really smart move for him to do Definitely. it. So, 
But anyway, let me get you into the news for the week and stuff that's going on. Uh, going on right now, actually, uh, for about an hour or change, is uh, Earth Crisis at Santos Party House. They're the main band, of course, on the bill, so they're not on right now. But uh, one of the openers that you might like is uh, The Last Stand with, uh, I guess, a couple of the guys from Inhuman, which is a hardcore band. So uh, they're, they're probably playing already. But uh, it's Earth Crisis are going to play with Shy Halud. And uh, pretty much destroy Santos Party House with the help of Thy Will Be Done and White Widows. So if you're uh, if you're near that Santos Party House, you still want to see some some really crushing stuff, get over there now because it's it's work in progress. So uh, Monday you got Hollywood Undead over at Irving Plaza. It's more of a rap rock thing, but uh, they're pretty interesting to watch. And I'm, I tell you, it's amazing to see how fast. They uh, always sell out uh, the show, and there's a few opening acts uh, on that bill, too, so it'll be a little more uh, diverse than just seeing them only play like, like they did the last time around in the city. Uh, that Steven Adler game was supposed to be tomorrow, so if you do have tickets for that at BB King's, you know, get that money back or transfer it over to some other shows because they got some good stuff coming up still. Uh, Night Ranger's coming, Dennis DeYoung's coming, and, and much more. Wednesday night at the Marlin Room in Webster Hall, because now the Webster Hall space is three venues, Mike. you got the main room, Webster Hall itself, the giant place. you got a smaller, middle-sized room called Marlin Room, and then you have the downstairs studio at Webster Hall Room. So three places to go now in that one little space, so that should be fun. If you want to see Orianthi do her thing, she is a uh, stellar guitar player. She was playing with Michael Jackson, too, uh, but now she's doing her own stuff, and uh, she should be cool to watch. Alice oh, she's, she's very nice to look at. And she's actually playing with Alice Cooper right now. She's a guitar player in his band. Oh, she is. Oh, she's yeah. doing double duty this week. Also oh. on Wednesday, and, and this is where I'm going to be, I'm going to be at Amaranth over at the Gramercy Theater with Cobra and the Lotus as direct support. That's going to be an interesting show, too. Female-fronted powerhouses breaking it down in our city. I gotta love that, man. And as uh, you just said, the coop. It's Alice Cooper at BB King. BB uh, <laughs> King, can you imagine? Uh, at Beacon Theater on Thursday. That is the king of shock rock. He is back and he is doing his classic show over at the Beacon Theater, while Leonard Skinner will be performing for free at the Seaside Summer Concert Series out in Coney Island. It's next to the home of the Brooklyn Cyclones. I don't actually know what the space itself might be called. I think they just like have overtaken a parking lot area um, yeah, when they uh, whenever West they 20, do one of these these West things. Twenty First Street and Surf. Okay, so yeah, so so right the, the best way to know about it is it's right next to the home of the Brooklyn Cyclones. So and when you're down there, go get a hot dog from Nathan's because they reopened. And uh, if you're driving by the Piercing Metal Command Center, please do not hesitate to bring a dog by and a couple of fries, man. I just will love you forever. Friday night, the voice of Sticks, man, is Dennis DeYoung. And and no matter what the band does today, he will always be the the forever uh, in tune with with their tunes. Uh, Dennis DeYoung will be at BB King's on Friday night, and that is going to be an exciting show because he is going to do, with a full band, uh, the music of Sticks. At the same time, um, well, very early, um, I'm sorry, at that day, the Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival will happen in the Susquehanna Bank Center, and that is in Camden, New Jersey. I'm trying to list a couple of these events uh, this year because, 
some of the kids are going to the Jersey one, some of them are going to Long Island, and so I figured let me just put them on the calendar. What the hell? Sure. And the Mayhem Festival this year is going to have the great Rob Zombie, Five Finger Death Punch, City by the Sea, Children of Bodom, Monomarth, Thrown into Exile, Mastodon, Machine Head, Job for a Cowboy, Butcher Babies, Battlecross, Huntress, Amur, Born of Osiris, and Motionless in White. Uh, Behemoth was supposed Ooh. to be on the tour. They have canceled due to medical emergency with their drummer. Saturday is a nice mellow day as the Agonist will take over Tammany Hall. That's down in uh, the Lower East Side. They'll be doing a set of material while the Pooey Ritual will happen at the Gramercy Theater. And that, my friends, is all I have for a very action-packed week. Yeah, last week was last week was a little slow because of the holiday, but boy, things really picked up. Yeah, last yeah. Week next and... next week looks like a slow one too, but this is what's going to happen. You know, it's it's the summer and everything. And hey, there's some good films out, man. We caught we caught Pacific Rim on Friday, and that was good, stupid fun, man. You know, made Definitely. me feel like a make me feel like a small kid again. So anyway, let me let's get back to the action. And as always, my dear listener friends, please find Piercing Metal on Facebook. Give our page a like. Follow us on Twitter. And do give some follow love to our Instagram of Piercing Metal NYC. I will see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you, Kenny. I, want, I hung up on Kenny, but uh, I went to go look for the Black Sabbath tickets to see like what they were going for in the, in the New York area. And they're only playing at Homedale in New Jersey, PNC. Yeah. And when you go on, you can't buy tickets. Now, are they sold out, or, or they haven't gone on sale yet? Because I know Alice uh, bought tickets uh, for Virginia and already has them, and that show's only, I think, a week before the New Jersey show. So are these shows all – I went to a couple of uh, different places looking for tickets like to check it out, and you can't buy a ticket online from Live Nation first. So I don't know if it's sold out or they just haven't gone on sale yet. I can't figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, I heard the tickets are going for over a hundred something dollars a piece, so there's no way I'm paying that to go see Black Sabbath. But I was just curious, like what they had, because you know PNC has the lawn seats where you can usually get them for about twenty bucks yeah. and sit on the lawn. That's not a bad deal either, because at least you get to oh, hit them play. Yeah, we had that one. Yeah, you bring your chair with you, you can sit in the lawn and look down into the thing and see them. So, but I was wondering if even if the lawn uh, the lawn tickets were going. For their normal price, which is like in the twenty dollar range usually at PNC for most bands. Yeah, so maybe it would go for forty for that. I'm not sure. You can't get any price on anything. It's I, that's what I'm saying. Did they sell out or did they not go on sale? It's kind of weird that a, a concert isn't on sale two weeks before the show. I mean, it's August fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, I gotta can, look into maybe that. Get a number. Yeah, I gotta have to call okay. PNC and find out. But there's no way I'm spending a hundred something dollars because it's just Sabbath, and I, I saw like a. Somebody posted a video of Sabbath on YouTube. It was the whole show. I think it was from Australia. Don't quote me. But uh, and by the middle of the show, Ozzy was just completely bombed out. He couldn't even sing no more. Yeah, you know. So, you know, uh, I'm not looking forward to, like, paying all that money to see, you know, especially by the time the tour gets to the middle, which is, like, when we're in it, you know, he'll be completely shot by then. You know what they ended up doing? They're going to end up making a DVD and polish it up. And then, you know... It won't keep, won't put a, keep a, a dead, you know, bad taste in your mouth after you see it, you know? Exactly. Eh, what are you going to do? All right, let's get some more music flowing here. Then that interview with Carmine Appice coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Let's do Sound Barrier. Here's Conquer the World.
shaking on the street. Your little sister's starving, and there ain't no food to eat. She's looking for the dealer, she's trying to find some crack. Well, tell your little sister, mama won't be coming back. Right before that sound barrier will conquer the world. You know, see, I used to love those guys. They were like one of the one of the first all black heavy metal bands. They formed like 1980. Oh, I mean, yeah. there were a few other. I mean, Snow White wasn't all black. I mean, they had Nicole Lee singing for them, but there were a few other bands too at the time. There was Black Death, but uh, these guys were great, man. And I don't know what happened. Like at the end of the 80s, Alex Massey, who was an Italian, an Italian guitar player, sort of got into the band. How they let a white guy in the band is beyond me. And he kind of. He was like a sharecropper. He kind of like used everything they had and then moved on, and that was the end of the band. They brought, they, they, the guys who formed the band actually had to quit to get out of the band because he kind of took it over, and I think they had a contract with MCA at the time. Uh, I don't remember the whole story. It's from so so long ago, but uh, he well, killed that whole Sicilian? band, that guy. What? Was he Sicilian? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where was Al Sharpton back then? He was too busy fighting Tawana Brogues' battle. He should have been over there with Sound Barrier. Yeah, Al Sharpton is worried about Tawana Brawley and what's going on in Florida. But yeah. he don't worry about well, the poor this kids. Was, this, was, this was the 80s, the late 80s. That was a Tawana Brawley time. He was too busy fighting that battle. Yeah. He could have been out to help the sound battery, get Alex Massey out of bed. They might have still been together today. I hate you. Uh, you know what? Nobody manipulates me and my family. That's all I know. Nobody manipulates me and my family. <laughs> that's right. You remember that. Remember that. Nobody manipulates me and my family. All right. Well, that's old news. Right now, <laughs> my apathy from King Cobra. We just did a little blue chair that featured Carmen also. That was a great band he had going for a couple of years back in the day. But, you know, King Cobra is active and vibrant again right now, and they sound better than ever with Paul Shortino on vocals. And, you know, King Cobra 2, which is the name of the record, just came out in Frontier. Pick up the sound because, you know, Carmine's not going to go out there and tour unless he makes money. He's old school. So you got to buy this record, support the band. That way we get to see them live all over the country. So yeah. let's talk with Carmine. Yeah. Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm doing Where great. Where are you calling man. from? Uh, from? From your old neighborhood, Brooklyn, New York. 
Yeah, I thought I recognized that. Yeah, you can't get rid of that accent, <laughs> you know, it's hard. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Hey, look, it's great. It's great to talk. You know, speaking of Brooklyn, how does a kid from Brooklyn get into Ed Sullivan show? With a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, man. Those are some good times back then, and, and you're still at it, and you're still doing it. Yeah. I mean, King Cobra, I mean, what made you decide to come back and revisit this over 10 years after the band broke up? Well, it, it was just like an accident, you know, and... Uh, uh, we went to a um, we went to a um, David, David. First of all, Dave Michael Phillips um, is a um, is a computer uh, not a tech. He's like a programmer. He's like a the guy that builds programs. You know, he's really smart. You know, so he uh, he was working for a company where he um, he would go come into L.A. and he they send him out to Edwards Air Force Base. You know. And he would program the F-16s. <laughs> wow. Crazy, right? Yeah. You know? And uh, so anyway, so he was in, in L.A., and I happened to be <coughs> be there. And uh, so we went out to dinner. And uh, basically after dinner, he said, you know that Pat Regan, who's a producer friend of mine, is mixing the Keel album. I said, oh, really? I didn't know that. He said, why don't we go say hi to him? I said, yeah. all right. So we went and say, said hi. And uh, um, after we after we went and said hi, you know, we were watching the mixing. And uh, and Paul and Paul Chattino was actually helping Ron sing the album, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, and uh, so, so then Pat says to me, he goes, well, why are you guys doing an album? King Cobra, that would be awesome. I said, I don't know, I didn't think about it. Yeah. So they goes, yeah, that might be a good idea. Frontiers, well, that's what they do. They do all these 80s stuff. So I said, okay, interesting. So, so then Pat said to me, well, who would sing? I said, well, I would like Paul Sotino to sing because I had worked with Paul doing a it – was, it was like a um, charity event for a few days on the East Coast. You know, and yeah. I said, you know, it might be a good idea to get Paul because he's an awesome singer. I mean, I heard him sing everything from R and B to rock to Beatles to everything. You know, so she said, okay, that's interesting. So I called Paul right there and then. I had his number and I asked him. I said, if we did a King Cobra album, would you be interested in singing on it and being in the band? He goes, yeah, I'd love to. You know, he didn't even think twice. It was like. I asked him, I said, would you be in the band? He goes, yes, I'd love to. That's how quick it was, the response. You know? So we said, okay, great. So then I called uh, Mick and Johnny. And they were into it. They loved the idea of Paul. And I took my word for it that he was an amazing singer. Yeah. And uh, then we hired this manager named Adam Parsons that worked for Ken Lizzie and, uh, and Motorhead. And he actually went out and put the deal together at Frontiers. So we actually did have a deal. <clears throat> and then we did the first record, you know. And we did it for fun, you know. And we tried to put gigs together, but there was, financially it was just impossible because, you know, today today it's it's rough to do that, you know. If you yeah, want no, to hold a second, I've got to, I sure. just got to tell this girl something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Hello. Yeah, I'm in. <clears throat> yeah, I'm back. So anyway, so getting back to it, so you know, we we figured, well, we may not be we may not be able to tour with this thing because, you know, the manager kept hitting up promoters and the money kept coming back really low. You know? So we didn't tour on the first album. So then <clears throat> going into the second album because we sold it sold okay, nothing like the old days, but you know, compared to what bands are selling today, it sold okay. You know? Yeah. So we um so we talked to Frontiers and they said, Well look, you know, the album did okay, maybe you guys want to do another one? So we said, Yeah, we'll do another one. So it actually gave us less money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we said, Oh man, that sucks, you know. But we said, you know what? It's not about the money. This this band at at this point, it's really not about the money. It's about more about creating new music for the fans that do like it, you know? And that's how we viewed it. Because if we we boiled down to the last time in this album, I probably made three dollars an album, uh, three dollars an hour on the fucking record. <laughs> oh man, do you think that's like that's the biggest disappointment? What the, uh, the sales? No, not the sales. The sales are like that for everybody everywhere. I mean, it's just yeah, everybody yeah. wants them for free. But do you think that's the most disappointing thing in the business today? Is that you know you put your blood, sweat, yeah, yeah, on an album, yeah, and you can't even back yeah, it up. Yeah, because. You can't financially do it. I mean, as an example, I got a call from a, an agent said I got I got uh, some festivals for King Cobra, and this and like at the end of August, I said, oh cool, that's good. So what's the deal? So after he told me the deal, I said, no, you got to go back and try and get some more. So the yeah. ending the ending last offer was, you know, for four gigs, it wasn't even enough to pay for the for the flights to go over there. Yeah, five, six people with one roadie in the band, you know. And That's then they rough. said, and then they said, well, we'll do hotels. Okay, what's the deal with the hotels? Three guys in a room. <laughs> I said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, fucking man. 66 years old. I've I've played in every kind of situation. I've never done three guys in a room. Even when Vanilla Fudge started, when it was two, <clears throat> me yeah. and Tim. Never done three guys in the room. I'm not going to do it at my age. Everybody now, when they're in their 50s, everybody fucking snores and shit. Come on. <laughs> you know? can fucking do that. So I blew it out. And I, uh, so, I mean, we're definitely up to do it. If some agent could put together a run of shows where we could actually do it, make a couple of bucks or break even and not yeah. lose money, then we'll do, we'll do some shows. But, you know. Yeah, in the old days, you used to have a record company that did tour support. So if you had a deficit, they'd pick it up. We also had a huge budget. We also had a huge merchandise deal. So we had money to back us, you know. We don't have that now. You know? I know. The record companies don't back anything. We're lucky that they give you a budget to make your record. That's a lot true. Of record companies, including my own. I've saw my own label. Everybody's got to give me the product. I, I don't have budgets to make records. It's a, it's a whole new no world. And I, yeah, no, I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. I mean, you know, like like the 80s was such a big time for like hard rock and, and heavy metal and, you know, it exploded. Yeah. But do you think the golden age yeah. kind of died even before the 80s, like the 60s and 70s when, you know, it really wasn't a business. It was more of, you know, a, being abandoned musician back then. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, the golden age of creating music and having fun. Back in the 70s, like when I was playing with Cactus and Beck and, you know, all that stuff, it wasn't a business yet. 
it started becoming a business for me more when I played with Rod. Because after Beck, you know, I packed up and I went to L.A. to play with this band with Mike Bloomfield. And when I was done selling everything, you know, I had all these big groups, Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, PBA, you know, top ten albums, gold albums. and yeah. You know, and I had myself a Pantera, a Jaguar, and about 125 grand. And that was it, to show for everything, you know? Yeah. So when I went to L.A. with that Mike Bloomfield band, it started becoming more of a business for me because I didn't want it to happen like happened for the last seven years before that, you know? So when I started going there, I started, you know, seeing how much the record deals were, how much I was getting, how much I owed to the managers, you know? And then when I joined Rod, that's when it really became a business because we actually had a percentage of the road, you know? And I showed what kind of money we were making on the road. I said, wow, unbelievable. Because with Beck, you know, like we flew to Japan, we got paid 50 grand, and we paid 70 grand to bring our PA over there. I mean, come on, what kind of fucking business is that? You know? We sold yeah, out the whole fucking good. European tour. I wanted to buy this little Lotus Super 7 car for England because I was there all the time. It cost three grand. And we had no money in the accounts. We were overdrawn. I said, we just sold out the whole tour. I said, yeah, but you spent more than you made. Well, who the fuck's watching the books? Fucking idiots. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible, yeah, so, the money that comes and goes. Yeah. yeah, so back then, we didn't care. So far, starting from the Rod days is when I started watching my money. It became more of a business as well as a creative outlet for me. Yeah. And then when I wrote, do you think I'm sexy? Number one all over the world. Then I really saw what kind of fucking money you can make. It's ridiculous. But I never had a big record like that, you know. When I wrote it, it was number one, so millions of copies everywhere. That, so that's the truth. That changed my whole idea. You know, and it's hard to get, like, artists to use their own name, like Rod Stewart, like even Ozzy, to kind of, like, give credit to the people who actually write the music and give them writing credit. That was kind of rare at the time, you know, because they always wanted to keep it for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ozzy, well, Ozzy had to do it because he didn't really write anything. Yeah. You know, Bob Daisley yeah. and, and, and uh, Lee Kerslake and, uh, did a lot of that. Guitar it. player. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the guitar player, you know, Randy Rhodes. They wrote yeah. everything. You know, Ozzy may have contributed a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a uh, melody here and there, but all the lyrics and all the, all the good things done by Bob. Bob is an amazing songwriter. You know? Definitely. You would take riffs that Randy would then mold them into great songs with great lyrics, cool lyric ideas, you know. And, uh, you know, and but that's where all the money was, you know. I mean, I had written with Cactus, and, yeah, we made some money with Cactus. And Vanilla Fudge we, was when I wrote my first song. I mean, on the BBA record, there's a song called Oh to Love You. I wrote the whole fucking song. Harmonies, everything. Yeah. I split it with Jeff and Tim to try and keep the band together, you know. So I've been writing, so on that, that record went platinum, uh, went gold on its way to platinum, sold all over the world, you know. But I split that money. I, I could have made a lot of money from that song. That's right. And then, you know, then you end up getting screwed. Then you end up getting screwed by publishing companies and screwed by this one and screwed by that one. And, you know, uh, I was on Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow record. I couldn't stay on it because Epic didn't want, wouldn't pay me my advance. So my manager told me to get off it. I get off it and goes and sells 2 million copies. I cover three songs and I got fucked out. Uh. Yeah. You know, I'm writing a book now about my life. So it's coming out on VH1 Books next year. 
that should be fascinating, man. I, that's All the stuff is going to be in there, man. All the shit's going to be in there. You got any stories about when you won on Ed Sullivan with Double DGO and Duke Ellington? Well, yeah. I mean, just an easy story was we're on our way down. You know, Ed Sullivan came in the room and just said hello. We're on our way down to the elevator. You know, you play live on that show. Yeah. And uh, one way down, and I said to the elevator operator, because they didn't have automatic elevators there, I said, so how many people watch this show? He says, oh, about 50 million. <laughs> Man, did I get freaking butterflies. Unbelievable. You know? I really, really got butterflies in my stomach. So we started playing. Then it all comes together, right. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I mean, it was 50 I was watching million, that that's a lot of people. That's, that's a lot more to live in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, man. There's a lot more than live that. anywhere. It's unbelievable. I was watching that clip on on Ed Sullivan. Uh, you did a You Keep Me Hanging On. And the first yeah. minute of that song, especially when your drums come in, I was like, this is like 1968. I mean, this is some heavy shit. I mean, I don't know if people realize that at the time. I mean, people give a yeah. lot of credit to, like, you know, Blue Chair and, and I don't remember, Dust. And bands like that is creating this like real hard and heavy sound back then. I'm like, man, it was. Uh, Vanilla Fudge was a. If you listen to a song that we did in 1969 called "Good Living," yep, it's de- it's the definite blue blueprint, okay, for Deep Purple being heavy. Without a doubt. Okay, because we had the bottom end of the keyboard. We had Tim's amps with five cabinets. We had you know two stacks of Marshalls. It was heavy. I mean, yeah. it really was heavy. It was. You know? it was and, you know, I mean, the, the, back then they didn't call it heavy metal. They called it heavy. Wow, yeah. That's heavy. You know, yeah, they didn't rock. ever call it heavy metal. They just said, yeah. it's just heavy music, you know. And then it's, I don't know where it got changed to heavy metal, to tell you the truth, but it did. <laughs> Somewhere down yeah. the road, somebody thought of a name that categorized something else to make money off of somehow and... <laughs> And that comes into play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they they made it like it's uh, uh they just made it like uh, I mean they started getting titles, you know, you're heavy metal, you're thrash metal, you're you're this metal, you're that metal. You know, really you know, the only metal I that I call real metal is that crap with the cook the cookie monster vocals. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I know, I know. Because it really does sound metallic. Like Metallica, yeah. they started all that. That's when I, I thought, that, you know, I think that's where the, mel- the metal thing came from. But, you know, they were calling themselves Metallica in the early 80s, 81, when they played Lemoyes, you know? That's right, yeah. I mean, I saw I was on Eddie Trunk's show uh, this week. I'm on that metal show all week. Yeah. I was watching it, yes, and they were, they, were, they were showing Lemoyes, and there was freaking Metallica there, you know? Yeah, it was a long and time I played ago. with King Cobra. That's right. I played there with King Cobra. Yeah, uh, I remember that show. Uh, yeah, and uh, everybody played there. Everybody, you know, that was anybody. It was starting from 1980. I remember that tour. They did Wasp, Metallica, and somebody else, another act. And that's what, what you know. That's what gave Wasp their start, and that's what gave Metallica their start. It was a packaging of those three bands together. You know? Yeah, pu- yeah, put them together. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. But- you talk about like I mean like you know you and Tim Bogart I mean you guys have been together for so many years it's such a tight rhythm section you sound great but I gotta tell you I yeah. love the sound that you and Tony Franklin you know when you guys play together 
Tony oh, Franklin man. is my favorite bass player. Yeah. That's why when I did my, I don't know if you ever heard like Guitar Zeus records. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, that's why I use Tony on the Guitar Zeus records. I love him. When I play with him with, with, um, with um, Blue Murder, it just was so inspiring, you know? And it was so inspiring. And I loved, he made the bass sing. He does. You know? He made yeah, the bass incredible. sing. Like, well, we're doing a new band together at the end of the year with me, him, Bruce Kulik, and Joel and Turner. The Frontiers. This is oh, their project. So I don't know what we're going to call it. I, we just call it Project X. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for now. Yeah. But that yeah, sounds good. You know, it's like when, when you decided on King Cobra, you know, going back and you said you ran the pole shirt team and you wanted – was there any talk about going back with the original, with the original lineup or getting Mark Free back or Mark no. Free now? Was there any talk no, about because I'll tell, tell you why. Because before that, just before the, the time that we uh, <clears throat> that we, we we did this, I did a deal in 2009 with uh, Fuel Records. Yeah. What, what the deal was – I had a lot of records just sitting around, you know, a Vanilla Fudge record, a Cactus Five record, a Travis Apiece Live in, the, in the, you know, a DVD and a record, uh, all these things. I had a King, King Cobra record that I did in the 80s, I mean, in the in the uh, 2001, with Kelly Keeling and Mick played on it. And, yeah, uh, Kelly. I had different, you know, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I had all these products, and you, they're all out of print, you couldn't get them. So I made a deal with him. It was like 13 records and two DVDs. And the third D- DVD was going to be a King Cobra DVD, live at the this Mexican festival in Acapulco. They called it Rockapulco. Yeah. It was us, Quiet Riot, and Latoya Jackson, of all people. <laughs> but we have a five-camera shoot. Yeah, it wasn't a perfect DVD. You know, it was sort of shaky and all that, but you could see the band. There's no other live footage of King Cobra live anywhere. So I wanted to release that, you know. And it broke down to that thing was making, I think the advance on that would have been $375. You know, when you break down all the other product that we were yeah. releasing and everything, you know. So I called Marcy Mark up and I told him that. And, and basically she told me that, you know, what her share was, because I had to menu it, would have cost a couple hundred bucks. So there's nothing left, you know. Her share would have been 40 bucks. You know? Yeah. My share would have been 40 bucks. But I wanted to release it just because nobody has anything live of King Cole. Yeah. And she basically told me if I released it, she was going to sue me. So I said, you know what? I don't need to release it that bad. I'm, I'm not going to go into a lawsuit over yeah. this thing for $375. You know, if you don't want to be man enough or, or human being enough to release this for your fans without getting paid big money, then I won't release it. So I never released it. So when this came up, I said, I'm certainly not going to ask Marcy Free to get in the band. Yeah. Am I, number one. Am I, number two, Mark Free left the band because we were too heavy. He wanted to sing more wimpy kind of light singles kind of stuff like John Waite and that kind of stuff. I remember, yeah. You know, so, so I mean, it would be getting back into that same ball game again. I said, why do I want to do that? And so, and I had a guy who was an awesome singer. I tell you the truth, 
I wish we had Paul Sortino back in the old days. Yeah. After him, what he's yeah. done with the band, that would have been fantastic. You might have just caught yeah. Austin on the bed. It might have been that time of month for her, so you might have just caught on right. a bad time over there. Who knows, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. But, well, it's good yeah, that you got so. Paul in the band because that, I mean, to me, this sounds like King Cobra, and I, I, I love it. Oh, oh man, I, I wish Paul was in it. I wish we had him in the 80s. We would have made such better record, more tough records. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he could do it all, yeah. Paul. He's got that kind of voice, and it's amazing. I love Paul, and he's the nicest guy, great engineer, great producer, great lyricist, great singer, all-around nice guy. I call him a mother, my brother from another mother. We get along so great. I go to Vegas. Instead of staying in a hotel, I stay with him and his wife. They're so, such nice people. Yeah. You know, she's become like my sister-in-law, you know. And, and you know, we did two records, put them out of their house to do the records on some of these Vocals we did Deep River and Take Me Back. We had we had his kitchen, you know. Yeah. We had his kitchen filled up with twenty people singing background parts. Nice. You know, in his house, you know. I mean, I stayed there for weeks on end. Never a problem. Never any attitude. It was beautiful people. He is a nice guy, Paul. I'm, I'm friendly with him. He's a really good guy. And speaking about brothers, you and Vinny got any more uh, drum wars going on this year? Yeah, we're starting uh, in September. We got one gig booked on North Carolina, and we got an agent that's supposed to uh, take that gig and um, move north, you know, up up the East Coast to uh, Buffalo and then into Canada, you know, and then across Canada. Then we have another agent supposed to be booking right after that the West Coast. So, so we'll see. But that that show is awesome. It's so much fun. Yeah, I've caught one of them before, so I mean I mean thinking about it. Oh yeah, where'd you, know, you catch it? Where'd you catch it? I caught you when you played in the city the last time. Oh, at uh, BB's. Yeah. BB's is like the place yeah. to go now from the city. It's like the only place I show you. Yeah, we just did two shows with Fudge there. Yeah, I saw the one with Fudge last week. The week before last, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was good, yeah. And we really you know, good. me and Vinny me and Vinny have developed the show a lot more now from when you saw it. Because since we saw you last, or you saw us last, you know, we've developed it now where it's, where it's still a drum thing, but it's not it's not a lot of just solo drum stuff by itself. So we open up the show, like, with uh, Mob Rules playing together. We have an intro tape. We have a backdrop. We have, you know, we have all this cool stuff going on now, you know. And we, uh, we have the song Drum Wars, which is actually, you know, some something that we were doing. We added guitars and stuff to it. And we do, we do Dio. We do... We just stand up and shout now is the last song. It kicks everybody's ass. We play it together. You know, and then we come back play Paranoid. We switch drum sets. So it sticks back and forth quite a bit. It's just a an all-out, much better show because we did 20 shows in Europe and really put the show together. You know? Oh, nice. Well, hopefully you get yeah. it back into the city again on, on, the, on the next leg and we'll catch it. Yeah, we're working on it. And, uh, and it's going to be right direct from... Direct from that metal show on VH1, Drum Wars, because he's on it. He was on it the last two weeks. I was on it the first week of June, and I'm on it this week. So, you know, people could identify with it, you know? Without a doubt. You know, Carmine, if none of this stuff ever works out for you, you know, you can always go back to the Vidal's. <laughs> oh, my God. How'd you hear about that? Uh, come on, I know everything. <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. We got ways of finding things out. Wow. You can always Funny, put that band back together. You know, I'm writing, my, I'm writing my book. I'm writing my book for VH1, and the, the writer is the guy that wrote Mickey Six's book. 
Oh, okay. And we got all and we got all that stuff in there, you know. You know, that, running running the the chapter runs from uh, goes from me running from the cops in Brooklyn after my friend just broke into a box <laughs> a box car underneath the L. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. It should be a good book. Hey, Tom, good. I'm not going to keep you much yeah. longer, man. But I, I appreciate you talking to me today. The new King Cobra record go, man. absolutely kicks ass. And I hope you can get the show on the road, you know, one day, and at least over here in New York so we can catch uh, King Cobra with Paul, with Paul singing, you know? You got it. That would be awesome. That would be All right, awesome. Carmine. Thank you, buddy. Okay, Best dude. Luck. See you soon, bro. Take Bye-bye. care.
Cobra, when the hammer comes down, Carmine is definitely a legend in this business, and he's always fun to talk to. I enjoy talking with Carmine. Please, buy this record so we get them out there, you know? A lot of people forget Johnny Ride, you know, he was in the original King Cobra. He's back with, you know, the new version of King Cobra. He also played in Wasp throughout, throughout the 80s, I think, maybe even into the 90s, and Johnny Ride's a, one of the major songwriters on this record. And he's just a talented guy. Plus, he's another paisan. So how can you go wrong with all these Italians in the band, Tay? Mm, this is true. <laughs> Carmine, Paul, you know, come on. Johnny. Wow. It's great. But it's, a, it's an amazing record. So go and pick it up. That way we can get these guys out on the road. You heard Carmine. He doesn't want to share a room with three people. He wants to keep it to two. Of course. Yeah, so let's get them out there. Let's see King Carb alive. It's a great thing. Uh, he he didn't get the joke, I guess, when I said it must have been that time of month for uh, Marcy Free. Yeah, I know, I know. It just went right by him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I give him credit. He he calls her she, you know? Yeah, I know. I so, guess may, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe they got an agreement or something. I don't know. I just think, you know, Carmine's old school, so it's just out of respect, I guess, you know? Yeah, this is true. Yeah, well, some good stuff over there, and since, you know, we got comment on, if you're a King Cobra fan, which I know you have to be, Paul Shortino will be on the show uh, August 4th in another two weeks, so uh, I know we still got guests coming on the next two weeks of uh, July, but just to let you know, August 4th, Paul Shortino is on the show, and Gary Pearson from uh, Vardis, another great new wave of British heavy metal band, we've been oh, wow. trying to feature as many as we can, you know, uh, this year, and those two will be kicking off August for us, and Actually, the whole month of August is booked with guests already, but I don't want to announce it. It's too far off, you know, and uh, things change. But next week on the show, next Sunday, Anthony Cross from Seven Witches. Anthony also played in Live Say, Attacka, Fischl's Beast, and a lot of other bands. Uh-huh. And Craig Goldie from Dio. So we got an amazing show next Sunday night. Don't forget to tune in. And I know we have a pretty good metal matinee this Thursday. What the hell it is is beyond me. I haven't had a chance to get a look and see what I'm doing, but it will be on at 12 o'clock. You think I can write some notes down, like if... After all these years, you know? Well, you know. Eh, happen. It happens. <laughs> eh, you know, what are you going to do? But uh, I'll figure out what show it is when we're done uh, talking here, and uh, I'll remind everybody. But don't forget to tune in Thursday at 12 p.m. for the Metal Matinee. All right, T, let me see what I can do now. Uh, how about Execution? This is a great band out of Boston. Uh, I'm going to try to have them on the show in August also if I can. I'm going to try to squeeze them at the moment. The band broke up years ago, and they're not really active altogether. Uh, but I'm going to reach out to the guitar player for the band. Because, you know, I don't care if the band's together or not. I just want to talk to guys from the 80s that played in bands that I loved. And, you know, have them come on and just tell about that time of, you know, of their life. So I'm going to see if I can get him to come on. A lot of these guys uh, don't really want to do it. Like, they're happy that people remember them, but they feel the band's not playing. They're not active. They're not, you know, getting back together. So yeah. there's really no point in it. But some of them just like the bullshit. Maybe he'll be one of them and uh, we'll get him on the show in August. And maybe that'll lead to the band getting back together. You never know. That would be nice. Right? Eddie Trunk always talks about all the bands he got back together by having them on the show. Why can't we? Maybe we should work on that. Well, how many, you know, you don't even know how many of their friends listen to their shit, listen to their uh, shit, listen to their interviews, or listen to you talk to these different, and might you might inspire certain people, you know? It's usually Vagabonds and uh, Vagrants, but I'll take it if it's a band. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm fine like with that. Yeah, like that band from Brooklyn, Tampus, you know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got it all back together now. Oh, for now, yeah. Hey, that's a good thing. You're having fun. You're, you know, you're getting it together. That's all that matters. That's the main thing, fun. Right? That's right. And, and hopefully we'll get some music by you guys brand new. I won't say nothing, but yeah. you never know. Yeah, 
know. And we'll debut it right here on the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. Oh, you're the best. Ah, yeah. uh, what are you going to do? All Thank right, you. let's get on some Executioner. There you go, Eye of the Needle.
Maltese Falcon with Heavy and Loud, and before that, Millions of Dead Cops with their title song. I want to thank everybody for listening today. I want to thank my guest, Carmine of Apathy of King Cobra. I want to thank Evo from Warfare. And T, I want to thank you for hanging out with me. I missed you last week. I'm glad you're back in the fold. Okay. Yes. All right, buddy. Hey, this Thursday in the Metal Matinee, it's in the gutter. It's all songs about just feeling like shit and being down in the gutter. There you go. I knew I would remember it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, you know, a little something to perk people up, you know, in the middle of the summertime. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Nothing like a good old-fashioned, you know, letdown, right? There you go. Good all right, well, let's wrap things up with some Crow Mags. We'll have them close us out here today. Take care, everybody. I will see you Thursday at 12 o'clock. Take care, buddy. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.